everybody, and welcome back to the Off the Key Podcast. I'm your host, Mac, and today I'm joined by my two regular co-hosts, Garrett. We have a podcast, but we are not your savior. And James. What's up? How's it going? Good, good. And today we are going to be talking about the highly anticipated, arguably one of the most anticipated albums of this year from Kendrick Lamar, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Just came out, what? Last week, week, uh, week. at the time of this recording, it has been a week since uh, Mr. Morale dropped, and oh boy, there is a lot to unpack with this one. Complex is an understatement. And we'll get to that, but first, I did want to give a brief introduction for those who don't know who Kendrick Lamar is, or the significant cultural impact that he's had on rap music, and even black culture in the past 10 years, I'd say. Kendrick Lamar is a Compton, California-based rapper who is often considered one of the most popular, most influential, and most respected rappers of this generation. If you don't know who he is, then I would say, good job, I'm impressed. You're basically living in a cave with no internet access or connections to the outside world if you don't know who Kendrick Lamar is. (laughs) Pretty much. Even if you haven't heard of him, you've probably heard one of his songs. Yeah, and even if you don't like rap or hip-hop, even if you don't listen to it at all, you've heard his songs. Hell, if you play the Madden video game, he has had songs on or even, previous iterations. Even, even GTA Five. Yeah, GTA Five, one uh, of the most prolific it? games of that all was, time. That was actually the my introduction to Kendrick Lamar was GTA Five. It was uh, ADHD, like right when that game came out in like 2013. I, I actually bought it day one. Mm. I convinced my mom to go down to fucking GameStop and pick up the pre-order that I didn't tell her I got with my lunch money. <laughs> money moves. <laughs> and I was the first one of my friends who had actually owned it. And I was really excited to play it because, you know, I hadn't really, like, paid attention to Grand Theft Auto. I was actually barred from playing a lot of M-rated games when I was younger. Mm, but I somehow, I somehow convinced my mom to go pick this one up. I don't remember how, but that's not the point. The point is... His his reach and his influence is widespread. He has garnered impressive levels of critical acclaim and popularity thanks to his thoughtful, socially conscious, cinematic, and conceptual music with a really strong mainstream appeal. And he's also the first rapper in history to be awarded a Pulitzer Prize for his fourth studio album, Damn. There has been no other rapper. It's almost always been jazz records, I believe. Jazz or like... Classical? It might have been classical, mm. but that is a big deal. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the Pulitzer Prize given to writing? Yeah, like literature. Well, there's well, there's mul- you... there's multiple uh, kinds of Pulitzer prizes. Like, oh. there's one for music. How does jazz win one for like? I don't know if I've ever heard about any others winning a Pulitzer Prize. No, there's that. He's the only one. No, I mean like any other musicians, famous musicians. Um, I think Coltrane. I'll, you'll have to double check me on yeah, that, maybe. but there are definitely, there is, a, there is a Pulitzer Prize for music. On top of that, three of his albums were actually included on the Rolling Stones 2020 uh, Redux version of their 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list. Now, I usually don't take it super seriously, but a lot of people have taken that article very seriously. And, and for him to have three inclusions all in the upper 200s and even going up to the top 25 is pretty impressive. I mean, I would say it's a it's a decent benchmark for at least what people in the industry think. He has an album in the top twenty five of the three hundred greatest albums of 500, all time. Five hundred, yeah, five hundred twenty. Which one was it? Was it, it was uh, to Pimp a Butterfly at number nineteen? 
Wow. Um, that that is justified, I would say. Yeah, I that mean, is an excellent album. To Pivot Butterfly, and this is no secret, but it's it's one of my favorite albums of all time. And it's a ten, perfect, easily perfect ten. Uh, we may talk about it. I do feel like that is one of those albums that like the critical praise and the accolades that it's received have been so saturated that it's like what you know what what do we have to say about it? But if you want to hear us talk about it, we will. Yeah, give us some feedback. Well, on top of that, uh, Good Kid, Mad City was actually at 115, and Damn was at 175. That's reasonable. That's, I don't know. That's where I. That's kind of how I rank the albums personally. Like, like Damn. Okay, I'm gonna catch a lot of shit for this. I know we talked about Damn a little bit on the first published episode, the Blue Matter episode. I'm actually not a big fan of that album. Now I understand its significant cultural impact and its popularity and, you know, the fact that Kendrick won a Pulitzer Prize for it, although I do feel he kind of won it more for his overall work than just Damn specifically, but I do feel like Damn was kind of the peak of his commercial success. I don't really get it. It's a decent album. I would say it's above average, but T-Pav should have been a lot, I guess, more commercially successful. It was. It was definitely a, a massive hit. It didn't reach anywhere near the same level of commercial Did, success as Good, Good Kid, Magic City, or Damn. Would you say that a lot of the commercial success from Damn was a result of how big Tepimba Butterfly was? Partially. Uh, a lot. So a lot of critics were praising the ever-living shit out of Tepimba Butterfly. I mean, even like Anthony Fantano, that was one of his first 10 out of 10 ratings for his entire review history. I mean, he had only given three up to that point, and that was the third one. The others being uh, Death Grips, The Money Store, and um, Swans, To Be Kind. So that also had a big part to play in it. That is actually probably the most famous review on his channel. It's sitting at like six million views or something like that. And I remember when I first discovered To Pimp Butterfly, I was curious about reviews of it, and that was the first one that popped up every time. Like, there was a lot of discussion surrounding that and I do feel like the critical praise that that album received really, really ramped up the expectations for Damn as a project. And see, that's that's what I'm thinking, because it's not necessarily that Damn was such a monumental album. It's more that it was just the anticipation built up. The fans of To Pimp a Butterfly were so excited for the next new album that everyone went and rushed to get the new one. And yeah. that's why it was such a commercial success. It's not necessarily on, on the merit of the album itself. Well, I mean, there is some merit to the album. I'm not going to sit here and, and say that Damn is, you know, artistically hollow or, yeah, of or course. Ken, Kendrick is selling out. I mean, I just think it is underwhelming given the amount of undeniable praise that that album gets. But also, it is probably his most mainstream appealing album. Good Kid, Mad City was pretty mainstream appealing, but uh, Damn uh, definitely has a lot of like pop rap influence, and I think that is a large part to play in it. Yeah, DNA is very much a pop rap song. I love DNA, though. Me too. That shit goes hard. <laughs> With that being said, um, there was a lot of hype surrounding Mr. Morale. I mean, it's been s almost six years since the last Kendrick Lamar project. I was a sophomore in college when Damn came out, and that was five years ago. So, I mean, especially given all the uh, like political stuff that's been going on with the, the pandemic, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests with George Floyd, um, a lot of people were expecting Kendrick to release an album amidst 
all of this turmoil. And that's partially because of his cultural impact and this kind of rap savior crown that he's been given by his fan base. And honestly, he's kind of assigned to himself. Mm. A lot of his songs off of uh, To Pimp a Butterfly have become very popular protest songs. Uh, the likes of All Right. Um, there's a couple of others that I can't think of off the top of my head, but um, he's had a massive cultural impact on African-American culture and hip-hop culture at large. And on this album, he tries to, I guess, distance himself from that. Yes. From that label. Yeah, a little bit. Mr. Morale has at least from what I've seen in the discourse of divided a lot of fans. And I honestly understand. I mean, when I first heard the project, I was not impressed. Tell you the truth. I know Garrett, you were, I'm still kind of not really all that into it. And I think that's for a good reason. I mean, the, a lot of the criticisms that have been thrown at this album, I think are warranted, but there's still a lot of artistic, value and merit in it i think the biggest problem with projects like this is that it is quickly the artist is quickly growing hugely above their medium and people both the artists themselves and the fans are really looking at it like it's just going to be this big monument of culture and it's like can we just let's just simplify this he's making music he's making an album for us to enjoy. Not everything has to be this big monolith of culture and thought. And you know, like you don't have to look at it from this like huge lens of expectation. Like like what yeah. is it supposed to be? Like what is the what is the medium? People are expecting him to like write the hip hop Bible. It's like you do realize that he is an artist producing like art for us to take in and enjoy. He and, he, is, and he's a human being yeah. who makes mm. mistakes. Yeah. Exactly. He's he's not this perfect like deep philosopher that creates a magnum opus every single time he releases an album. Although it's, his catalog is impressive, don't get me wrong. Oh yeah. yeah, of of course. We're not saying that he's not a thoughtful guy and but it's just you have to understand that he's an artist. He's a musician. He's he's not your savior. Exactly. He is not your savior. <laughs> and also at the same time, people that are expecting like to pimp a butterfly or like greater, like you do realize like a ten out of ten, like that's the height. That's the peak. You cannot go harder than that. And up at the peak of Everest, the air is thin. You can only stay up there so long. So the peak cannot be the entire catalog there will be some stuff that is you know don't compare everything to like someone's like magnum opus and i'll admit i'll be the first to admit that i also had very high expectations for this album and i think kendrick has earned that through his music i mean good kid mad city to pimp a butterfly those are both two undeniable classics of the 2010s those albums are going to last way beyond kendrick lamar's career if you ask me and probably his life, too. And it's fair to have high expectations. But like you were saying, Garrett, I agree that people have put him so high on this pedestal in hip-hop and in rap culture that he was starting to feel the pressure. The pressure was starting to crack, and you get a lot of that on Damn. You know, he's really conflicted about this hip-hop savior status that he's assign himself and his fan base has assigned himself. 
and Mr. Morale is a, a deep and brutally honest and vulnerable exploration of his humanity and his problems regarding that. I also think hip hop in general is very competitive and everyone wants to compare like who the greatest in the game is and it's like, Oh, who's the best rapper right now? And fans get really like combative and kind of vicious when it comes to like a rapper's like status. People said, Oh no, Kendrick's not number one anymore. And it's like, no one really like compare rock band. Oh, this is the best rock band right now. And this is the second and third, you know, there wasn't really, like that. I mean, some people would say, you know, this is the best band in the world right now or something at like the height of their popularity, but no one really like compared artists like this, like we see, where it's like, oh, Kendrick is at the top of the game. It's like, oh, no, he fell off. And you don't really get that in other genres of music. Yeah, at, le- at least not on a personal level. There's much more of a personal aspect to a lot of hip hop. Well, yeah, right. I mean, it's an individual, it's really an individually based genre for yeah. the most part. I mean, you have rap groups and stuff like that, but that's still a bunch of personalities all coming together. Yeah, like, it's it's honestly kind of rare to have, like, a rap group. Like, there's... You can name some examples, but... I was about to say most, Well, yeah, like, most of what... Most of what you get from hip-hop is from individuals. Exactly. With that being said, how could anyone match those monumental expectations? I mean, if I was put in that situation... I would probably crack under under the pressure. Retire. Mm. <laughs> I'd just retire. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think Kendrick has done a really good job of dealing with that pressure and still trying to put out good music, even if it's conflicted. Like, damn, damn is his most conflicted project, period. And I feel like Mr. Morale is kind of the resolution to a lot of the mm. conflict and the turmoil that he was dealing with in damn. Mr. Morale almost feels like a theatrical therapy session for Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, and therapy is definitely the central theme of this album. Even going so far as to taking time away from his career to work on himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the opening lines of United in Grief on the first disc, he admits that he's been going through something for five years now. But yeah, I mean, it has been a very long time. It's been half a decade since we've last heard from Kendrick and I believe that Mr. Morale is kind of like a like a catharsis for Kendrick Lamar. It's it's an exploration of the stuff that he's been dealing with for the fast past five years. And the stuff that he has learned. Yeah. As and, a result. And how he's grown as a result of it. Yeah. Like a lot of the issues that are discussed on the first disc, you know, the Mr. Morale disc, I think this is a lot of like from the perspective of Kendrick, I think this is a lot of the issues that he's wrestling with. Mm. That being said, uh, United in Grief, I really like that introduction. It's a good song. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, it has a really like almost musical quality in the beginning with like the piano and the way Kendrick and is delivering his lines. I feel like this this new like instrument instrumentation, this very piano like like theatrical. The, uh, this mm. song does it right, whereas some of the later songs don't. But I feel like this song does it right. Yeah, this this song set a really unique expectation for me on the record. I was expecting the rest of it to sound like this, honestly. This really, like, musical, like, three-act play-like type of uh, experience. 
Mm-hmm. And I think you do get elements of that here, but... It, it's nowhere near as strong and composed and put together. Yeah, like, it, it feels half-baked. Yeah. Uh, from a thematic point of view. You you do get yeah. some of this later on in the album, like it repeats again. Like yeah, you get yeah. the singing and the and some of the piano and stuff. And there's a there's a lot of mirroring on the album too. Mm-hmm. I mean, like yeah. like the the Mr. Morale section and the Big Stepper section, they they mirror each other mm-hmm. in terms of track composition. I think the biggest, I guess, the most noticeable example of this is so on the back half of the first half of the disc, there's the uh, rich interlude. Mm-hmm. And then the following three tracks, and then it goes into the second disc where it goes through the three tracks, and then the savior in a loop. So obviously Kendrick is trying to give some kind of conceptual idea, like almost mirroring here, like he's looking in, into himself, if that makes sense. Right. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that on an artistic level and on a conceptual level, but a lot of the tracks here don't meet up to that expectation mm. well, and it's not only himself it's the audience too he wants the audience to do the same exactly um it's not only therapy for kendrick and reflection for kendrick but it's reflection for his audience as well mm. you know he i mean he directly challenges his audience on several songs on this album yeah and there's a lot of you know current issues that he addresses yeah, like, like cancel culture. Yeah, he what he perceives as the this fake like performative social justice kind of movement going on, and the uh, all the grifters and stuff that are just taking advantage of this victimhood culture to you know for clout and money. Now that being said, we're not here saying that giving a platform to victims and. And people who otherwise wouldn't have a voice is a bad thing. What yeah, it's not a bad thing. Is there unintended consequences exactly. of those actions? Like people clout chasing by pretending to be victims, which is, it's disgusting. It's mm. insulting. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's a great example. Uh, there's this one like TikToker. I can't remember her name. She pretended to have Tourette syndrome. And garnered garnered a massive following doing that. And she grossly misrepresented the, the trappings of, well, not the trappings, like the, the symptoms of having Tourette's and how awful it can be to live with that. Mm -hmm. And she tried to make it like cute and fun and, and uh, quirky. And like, I don't know, it was just disgusting to me. Like I, I, I don't have Tourette syndrome myself, so I can't like speak for those for people who do. But from what I understand, it's and from the discourse I've seen about it, it's in it's not welcome. It's pretty insulting. Did she not actually have it or no, she didn't have it at all. She pretended to have it for clout. Yeah. And, you know, that that is the most serious unintended consequence of having a culture of affirmed victimhood like you're. You're you're giving a very strong incentive to people to be a victim, and that inevitably is going to lead to people trying to take advantage of that for, like you said, clout, for validation, for money, for whatever selfish reasons they might want. And I think in Kendrick's case, he's talking more about a prime example is during the Black Lives Matter movement, the uh, the Blackout Tuesday trend you guys remember that where you had to like put a black square on your instagram page yeah yeah 
And it was just like, oh, I did my activism. I'm a good person. See ya. Probably the most egregious example, at least to me, was those fucking members of Congress that kneeled down in the rotunda of the Capitol building with that, like, African garb that they they didn't even really know what they were wearing. Apparently, it was from some tribe that participated heavily in the slave trade. So it's just, it's this fake bullshit that, that everybody's doing just for optics. And it's it, there's no real substance behind it. And yeah, that's what, and- that's what Kurt... To me, that's what Kendrick is calling out here. That's what he's criticizing. Yeah, he's challenging his audience and saying, like, are you really activists? Do you really care about this movement? Or is it just for uh, clout and, like you said, publicity? Mm-hmm. And that's that's really what he brings up heavily in N95. Oh, yeah. That's the, oh, yeah. That's pretty much the entire subject all, all of that of this is Yeah. All of this is very much the big thing of that. And he's talking about strip away all of this strip away this, strip away that, what do you have left, you know? Nothing. Exactly. Honestly, like, I wasn't crazy about N95 at first. I wasn't too impressed with the instrumental. Really? I think it's one of my favorite songs on that one. But after I listened to it a few more times, I was like, wait, no, this this song is actually brilliant. Honestly, like, so the title, I saw it initially. I was like, oh, my God. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. He's going to give some big speech about COVID, and I'm really not sure which way it's going to go, but um, it it really felt more like bait. I don't know if I would use the word bait, but he's he's trying to get them to actually think, look inside themselves, and look at the culture and really think about it and stop just, like, going along with everything. Yeah, I was talking specifically about the title being bait. But well, oh, well, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> yeah. Not, not the song itself. Now, the gotcha. song is actually very thoughtful, in my opinion, and it kind of further digs into this theme of self-reflection and, and hypocrisy that has been a pivotal subject point of Kendrick's entire music career. I mean, Blacker the Berry, you know, he, he discusses his hypocrisy on that song. Gary, you've been pretty quiet here. Uh, what, what's, what's going on in your noggin? I think it's one of the best songs instrumentally. I believe that is this uh, was this released as a single right after the album dropped. Yeah, I could I can definitely see it. It's it's, it's definitely like probably it, the most radio friendly song here. Yeah, yeah it, in ninety five. It's got his usual wordplay. It's got more of a poppy style. Yeah, instrumentation. I mean, he's always used a lot of very like pop leaning instrumentals, especially in his later projects. Yeah. Well, well, he has to he has to a- appease know, the record company with, and make some radio friendly things. Yeah, like you know uh, all those eight hundred eight sample packs. Yeah, that you hear on this record, which is plaguing pop music yeah. or pop rap anyway. But I mean, well, that that's what I brought up like off mic before. I think in, it was in the chat. I could hear a lot of trap influence here, a lot more than before the rest of his discography, at least from what I've heard. A lot of popular rap music uses the 808 sample pack, so I wouldn't mm. necessarily say that it's specifically trap. It's just trap happens to use, use it a 808s lot. a lot. I suppose that's what I'm thinking of. And, and not just like the you're, 808 sound, it's more the just the structure of it too yeah no you're not wrong because like i mean he's using some triplet flows um and i do want to point out something about n95 man the amount of cadences that kendrick is playing with on that track it's pretty impressive he switches between like five or six different delivery styles yeah you can't talk shit at all about kendrick as a rapper like this man is extremely talented 
Oh, yeah. His lyrics, his flow, his rhyming ability, it's all top-notch. Sorry to interrupt, Garrett. Yeah, sorry. We didn't mean to interrupt you for that long. <laughs> oh, no, I don't. A lot of tracks on this album, I feel like I didn't really digest really like his like intended meanings because some of them either... No, I won't say boring. I just felt like they were a little like blase. I know what you mean. I, I was also not impressed with the instrumentals on this album initially. I mean, there were a good good few high points, you know, like United in Grief and N95 and some of the stuff on the later uh, track list. The instrumentals on a lot of this album are not grabbing me. They're not really making me want to to pay attention and enjoy what he's talking about. Like on, you know, to pimp a butterfly and good kid, bad city. Like, it's not that the content isn't there. Like the lyrical content of this album is very powerful and thoughtful. It's still one of his most thoughtful records to date. Yeah. And it's very emotional, especially, especially in the latter half of the album. Yeah. This is the most vulnerable we have ever heard Kendrick Lamar to say the least. And that's a pretty bold thing to do for a mainstream rap album. I will, I will give this album credit. There is, this is probably Kendrick's, least mainstream appealing album outside of a couple of tracks like die hard and 95. And with that many eyes on him, I mean, everybody has eyes on Kendrick right now and everybody's been anticipating this project for five years. Very ballsy move, massive cojones. Oh yeah, definitely. That there is no fear here. Like you were saying with the instrumentals, it's, I was telling you earlier, it's kind of funny to me that it's strange to me because there's not a lot of, things on this album to really keep the attention of the the listener who doesn't dive deep into the lyrics, you know, and the meaning of everything and all the themes on the album. There's really not much else there without that stuff cuz this album is brings all the the themes and the meanings, all the deep shit, all it's all in the forefront. Like the music is just complimentary, that's the way it seems to me. This, yeah. That actually brings up a really interesting point that you were kind of talking about and getting to earlier, James, and makes sense with what you were discussing, Garrett. Do you think that Kendrick Lamar did this intentionally? For some songs, yes, I do believe so. Bad move. I think he really, really wanted us to pay attention to the lyrics on this album, and that's why a lot of the instrumentals are so stripped back and, yeah. and simple now, there's no, I wouldn't really say there's any, like, pacing pacing issues with this album. Like, most of it is very, like, mid-tempo. Yeah, I, I agree, and it, it moves along smoothly. I don't want to say it's easy to be hooked to it, because there's not really many hooks, but there's definitely some interesting beats, I would say. I think we briefly discussed that off mic, too, and there's some unorthodox beats that you would not normally hear in, in hip-hop or rap. Like Worldwide Steppers. Yeah, yeah, that, Worldwide Steppers. That beat is... Very off kilter. Yeah. It like actually kind of creeps me out a little bit. Yeah. It's definitely not something you would easily like dance a, to. It's like a clipping beat, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if you ever listened to clipping. Like I, I like when I was listening to that song initially, I was like, man, clipping would rap over this. They would use this beat. My point is, um, this album is very personal. It's very upfront and it's very vulnerable. And I think Kendrick was trying to reflect that in the instrumentals. And that's why, like, he wants mm. to give it a more personal and up close and comfortable feel. I, yeah. As with the pacing and the theming and the the way the instrumentals are made. That's exactly what it's about. It's 
it's for the message. It's all about the message, what he's saying. It's about the substance of the lyrics. It's really interesting that I listened to two albums in like the span of like 24 hours that now that we're kind of bringing up these points, I've realized are like, as far as like writing the albums go are polar opposites. You know, you kind of yeah. realize that this album is like very lyrics first lyrics at the like, lyrics and like messages and vocals are at the forefront. And the music almost kind of like taking a back seat. It's almost just kind of like, Ooh, it's kind of there. And I was listening to an album by uh, the OCs band and it's like mm-hmm. the, they use like lyrics pretty much like as like a placeholder lyrics might as well not even be there yeah kind of like zappa yeah <laughs> a lot of zappa and i just realized not like how like if that was his intention it's like okay here pay attention to this more here it is it kind of ended up doing the opposite for me i <laughs> i see your point garrett it's that the music itself didn't pull you in and make you want to engage with the lyrics yeah if i don't i don't like being told how to listen to my music Oh yeah. <laughs> Have you been seeing those fucking Reddit threads of people giving instructions on how to listen yeah. to Mr. Morale? <laughs> stuff like that. Stuff like that. Now I do think there are I do like like when I see like old alternate track lists, like listen to it in like this order or they add like B sides and they will like put it like into the album. I do like those, but like when it's like, oh you've gotta like take five ambians and go to chick-fil-a before and then listen to it like that that's that's stupid i hate that and and ironically uh the same thing kind of happened with damn i don't know if you guys remember but i remember very distinctly mm-hmm. when that album came out well you didn't really pay attention around yeah i wasn't time, yeah but i i was i was right there people man. were doing that with damn yeah no there was this theory that um kendrick lamar was gonna re- release like a companion album and then it was all of a sudden, uh, you need to play the album backwards to get the uh, different story and perspective of Damn. And you got to listen to it that way as well to get the full experience. Because, you know, at the end of uh, Duckworth, the final track of Damn, it rewinds to the beginning. And that, like, made everyone go crazy. Like, a lot of... It's it's really annoying that Kendrick's fan base does this, but they, they treat it like it's a fucking, like, Five Nights at Freddy's game theory. They'll they'll pick apart the lyrics and analyze every single detail down to like his music videos and 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 pick it apart and overanalyze it and look into every single meeting and piece and like yeah you know Kendrick Kendrick's music deserves to be analyzed and and understood and broken down but his fan base takes it too far sometimes. Is there is like, there an actual band or artist that you know of that? creates interlooping lore into their like songs and albums because i can't think of one gorillas oh yeah well that's yeah. most of the new stuff right yeah with the new stuff and even it even goes back to the old stuff mm. but that was kind of like their whole thing is like you know this cartoon band is like marketing well, i mean like mostly with their songs because they had a lot of like videos and stuff that told a story but i yeah. just mean like just in their songs where you can just like pick out like references i can't think of another some people will like put that onto a band and when the band is just like I don't know what you guys are talking about, but okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, Kendrick Lamar even played into it with the damn collector's edition. Uh, it was released, and it's the track order backwards. <laughs> damn. I don't know. Part nice. of me was part of me thinks that Kendrick Lamar was just like clowning him. Not maybe a little bit, but <laughs> but more saying like, okay, probably not. I don't think this is it, but I'm gonna play into this anyway to to mess with the audience. So basically, clowning him. Yeah, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. And it just, I don't know, it just goes to show that 
sometimes you need to take a step back and just take the music for what it is. And I think that Kendrick's intentions with Mr. Morale was to do that. You know, yes. just bring everything to the forefront and be honest and just put it all out there. I just hit my glass and hit my funny bone. That feels good. That feels great. My arm is tingling. And wasn't keep, that keep funny, that huh? Gotta keep that in the recording. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really though, like it, it's, I think that was Kendrick's response to the kind of like theory crafting and, you know, fucking five nights at Freddy's game theory analysis video type shit that his, his fan base was doing. And it also keeps with the th- Kendrick's personality in general. Like he's a pretty reclusive guy. I've, I've told you this before off mic as well, Mac, but one of the main themes I hear that's not just on this album or any specific album, but all of his albums is a, great sense of humility and empathy like he's always preaching a message of staying humble and being empathetic that's also a big there's there's a lot of that in this album too like 100 like and sit down, especially on the second disc be humble. yeah it's a lot of honesty and for that i genuinely appreciate this album and also loyalty 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 i do not like that song at all <laughs> I'm probably going to get flamed in the comments for it, but I, I don't care. Understandable. I on that hill. Speaking of songs, I didn't really, we didn't really care for. I didn't really care for Die Hard. I know a lot of people do, but I didn't really care for that song. I, okay. Die Hard is a fine pop track. It's a decent pop rap track. You know, the hook is fine. The vocals are fine. The bridge is cool and nice and pleasant, but it really doesn't add anything to this project. In my opinion, I feel like this was literally just a radio single. It was inserted to appease the record company. Exactly. And it's not, it's not bad. It's really not. It's just, I feel in the greater scope of the album, it's inconsequential. Right down to the vocal, like to the actual instrumental and vocal performances. Yeah. And it's not that Kendrick doesn't bring like meaningful observations to it, but I feel like the song is just kind of like a pop rap version of it. You know, it kind of cheapens the message a little bit. I've I've also I would also like to point out that I've never really particularly cared for a lot of Kendrick's more pop leaning songs like Loyalty and Love and uh, Die Hard and God like a lot of the stuff on Damn I was not really feeling. I'm in the same boat. I I prefer his deeper things and his more I guess like classic hip hop stuff stuff. Yeah, I've never really liked Kendrick as like a pop rapper. If I'm being honest. Pop rap in general is just not that appealing to me. It can be. I'm I'm not going to write off the genre completely, but a lot of it can be just like garbage. Like that Jack Harlow album was fucking trash. <laughs> it was not good. There's one good song on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't mean to sound like I'm writing it off. I'm just saying I don't enjoy it much. I'm just clarifying for the audience. Yeah. My like perfect medium is that like, is like the mo- is like money trees where it's like, not too pop. It's not too, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, conscious rap. It's not too, you know, it's got a story. It's got great hooks. Yeah, it's got a hook. It's got, like, that's what I want, that happy medium. Like, I think To Be a Butterfly was great because it went to some of these extremes and then it came right back. Actually, I'd argue Good Kid Mad, Mad City does the same thing, even more mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Like, it rides that line perfectly. Like, like Kendrick yeah. has always, throughout his catalog, been able to ride that line really well you know the socially conscious like experimental and 
and political side and the more pop rap leanings. And that's what makes him so popular and so compelling as an artist. And I feel like Damn and this album did not do that. Damn leaned a little too far into the pop rap, and this album is leaning a little too far the other way. I agree. It, like I said earlier, it's his least. This is his least mainstream project outside of maybe like N95 and Die Hard and Silent Hill. A lot of unconventional stuff going on here. Not like totally out of left field. Like I've definitely heard some of this stuff being done before, but there are still positives. I'm not saying there aren't. Like Father in Time, I that's one of my favorite tracks on this entire. That's album. my. That is my favorite track on this album. Like the, the that's Samp- the best feature in my opinion. Yeah, the Sampha feature is. Excellent. Yeah, that was great. It's probably one of the only good features on this album, if you have Yeah, ooh, this, ooh, hot take. I don't think me and Matt cared for the, for like hardly any of these features. No, I, I did <laughs> not. I liked, I liked the Baby Keem feature on uh, Savior and his Savior interlude. Well, well, I like the Summer Walker feature. I think she has a very nice voice. Well, wait, Baby Keem was on Savior, wasn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was, he was. I'm, I'm tripping here. Hold up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah he was he was i had to, i had to double check sorry baby keem's features were good uh samfa and i liked the inclusion of beth gibbons although it wasn't yeah. like a, a a crazy inclusion or anything like that and then like i actually liked the ghost face feature but i know you didn't yeah i didn't and we'll dive into that in a second but uh father time powerful track really powerful track um i really like the instrumental and Sampha's hook, man, that that's Great. been that is an ear that has been yeah. in my head all week, all week. See, there there's an example of a really good hook on here. Like I said before, there's not many, but that one stands out. The subject matter is is pretty powerful too. I mean, Father Time is kind of about the cyclical nature of I don't want to say abuse, but like abandonment mm-hmm. that faces a lot of honestly a lot of black males. In the community. In the, in community. the community. It's it's very much a theme that, not a theme, it's a it's an issue that goes from generation to generation. It's like passed down. Like yeah, the trauma it. from that, go, even if the father sticks around, he's still, and it's, it's commentary kind of on more of a general truth of life. Like you're- In generational trauma. Yeah, whatever trauma or whatever bullshit you're dealing with. And that you haven't learned from or learned to, you haven't fully healed from, you're going to, there's a good chance you'll pass it on to your kids. Yeah, it's that old saying of, you know, generational trauma and abuse goes in cycles. Yes, because one way or another, there's going to be, it's going to manifest itself in your children if you don't take care of it. I think Kendrick does an excellent job here of, he's, he's really, he's trying to heal here. And he's trying to break that cycle. I think that's a really powerful and strong theme on this song and throughout this album. This is a very easily digestible song, too. Um, his flows and his cadence are very easy to pick up. I feel like that's another issue is that on some tracks, he goes a little... His cadence and his flow are a little too quick. So you have to... It takes multiple listen you can't really you don't really get it fully you don't really like digest it fully that is not the case with this track this track is very it's like first time through you pick it up you know everything it's about and you just it's a complete package it really is yeah yeah one of the best tracks on the record for sure um and then we dive into rich interlude which is where some of my issues with this album 
start to rear their head. Specifically, <laughs> the inclusion and prominent inclusion of Kodak Black. Bottle wet like a tub. <laughs> have you heard, have you seen have you seen that uh, those TikToks where it's like got to keep them off guard? And it's that Kodak yeah, song. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Kodak has can, had dude. a pretty controversial past. He was actually charged with rape and sexual assault in 2018, I believe. It was a while back, mm. but um, he pled guilty to it on a plea deal and uh, went to jail. He was indicted, but he didn't serve his whole sentence. And he caught a lot of crap for that. And rightfully so. I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's that's something you take seriously. It's, it's a heinous crime. Since then, uh, Kodak has kind of been like this. I wouldn't say villain, but he's definitely been a very controversial figure in mm. in rap music. Um, not not on the same level as like somebody like Six Nine, who you know has done even worse and more. That is a, a common problem in hip hop. I feel like Kodak's inclusion on this album says more than his actual verses. Yeah, it, it seems, and you were talking about this earlier, it seems like Kodak is a, he's more of a piece. He's using him as a kind of a tool to enhance the message of the album. And, you know, this, this message of growth and, and change and, and forgiving yourself. Kendrick is kind of on one side trying to say here that Kodak Black has changed. He's giving him a platform to say that. The problem is I feel that another rapper could have done a way better job of demonstrating this point and really added to this project. Like literally almost anyone else. You know, Kodak, he, he does bring some more thoughtful and more meaningful song like verses than he usually does. But it didn't match the same level of nuance and depth that a guy like Kendrick Lamar could bring to the table. Um, I mean, and you could also argue that uh, Kodak kind of represents this like rap every man, you know. Mm. Um, I was watching the uh, Spectrum Pulse uh, review on this because I was really curious about what he had to say. And he kind of brought that up. His inclusion on the album is, is more symbolic of the average person. Mm. than it is of like a, a really yeah. thoughtful and like lyrical rapper. Yeah, I remember him saying that. It seems to me that his inclusion on the album is the point. Like he he's using him as a device to not only enhance the message of the album itself, but m- actually make the point. He Him being there is the whole point. It coming from Kodak with the history that he has, the, the verses and stuff, the message that he's saying is what exactly what Kendrick wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I see the intent there. I do. I just think it could have been better. Spectrum Pulse also brought this up, but I completely agree with him. Uh, Freddie Gibbs would have made a very, very strong inclusion on this album. Mm. If he was on this. Plus he's um, just a better rapper, significantly better rapper. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Freddie actually dealt with a similar situation in 2015. He was accused of uh, drugging and raping a girl in Europe while he was on tour. He denied it. He denied it vehemently up to the trial, and he was acquitted. I mean, they didn't have enough evidence to prove that he had done it, and he was let mm-hmm. off the charges. But he still, it still damaged his reputation. He felt that he had to rebuild it. And the result of that was his 2016 album, Shadow of a Doubt, which is about that incident. And he kind of had to give himself like a redemption arc almost. 
but Kodak really hasn't had that. I mean, a lot there's a lot of like music industry push to say that he's changed and he's a better person and all of that, but I haven't really seen that. And I guess Mr. Morale was a way for Kendrick to give Kodak that voice, like the way Freddie Gibbs did it. Shadow of a Doubt was his response to that. That was his perspective. I felt like they just kind of said, hey, Kodak, you want to apologize for what you've done? He's just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> like, he didn't, he's like, all right. Like, sure. No, it, personally, I believe that everyone deserves a chance at redemption. Of course, of course. Like, I think it's noble of Kendrick to try and do this for Kodak. I believe that maybe one day he will, if he, you know, hopefully doesn't want to do any of that bullshit again. All I can say is we'll see. Last point I have on this, but I think Kendrick kind of sees himself in Kodak. Like Kendrick is dealing with mm-hmm. a lot of like horrible mistakes he's made in his life and, and is trying to grow and improve and become a better person because of it. I think he's also trying to give that parallel with Kodak's presence yeah, on the record. Yeah. Uh, it's very much a, it was very much a personal decision. Yeah, I think like, absolutely. I think, I think Kendrick knew that there could have been better artists to use for this, you know, better rappers, better, but using Kodak was very much a, a personal thing. Like you said, he sees himself in Kodak like a younger self. I will at least give it props, but my criticism still stands. A better rapper could have really elevated and enhanced the message that Kendrick was trying to bring. Didn't really care for the interlude. Now, is, what about is the ultimate point here? About Rich <laughs> Spirit. I this is one of my least favorite songs on the record. Um, it's one of the only non-feature tracks. Well, there's a couple, but this has one of the least interesting instrumentals on the whole record, in my opinion. And I'm not really like impressed with the lyrics. Um, I'm going to double check them here. So basically, I mean, it's, it's a song <laughs> talking about how Kendrick is listing his positive qualities and also kind of combating criticisms that have been thrown towards him. You know, like with the lines, you know, I'm a good man, shake your hand, firm grip rule, 72 wins, lost 10, balling with the flu. He, he's kind of like saying, you know, I'm trying to stay strong. I'm cool. I'm attractive. You guys are just haters, blah, blah, blah. You know, like it's kind of a... I'm attractive. It's a little bit of a fuck the haters track, but and it's more nuanced than that, but that's kind of like the core of it, if you ask me. And I just, I don't know. I didn't really care for it. It's al- it's almost like Hendrick is like retaliating against his own internal self-criticisms and mm-hmm. the criticisms of those around him. The duality of I'm attractive and you ugly. Yeah. <laughs> Very, very omnipresent. Yeah. And I don't know. I just didn't care for it personally. I do understand its place in the record and in the narrative of this, the album and the first disc, but it just, no. It's forgettable. Very forgettable. What isn't forgettable to me, at least, is We Cry Together. Whew. This track has bad. caused a lot of. <laughs> it's bad. Con- Skip. It's. Next. <laughs> bad. It's terrible. I I disagree, but I understand. Literally, like the worst version of you. You <laughs> was actually you was actually good and had some rapping. There is like no merit beside of like its artistic value to the record, and even then, bad. I disagree, I, but not completely. Same here. The main thing for me is that this is clearly like a demonstration of what it's like being a woman in an abusive relationship. 
it's kind of highlighting the the differences or the battle, at least in the modern times, between the two genders or the, you know what the fuck I mean. Well, here's my <laughs> thing. Here's my thing. Why don't he's rapping, but he's like angry and he's mm-hmm. doing it almost kind of like you. He's giving it. And then she may like, comes in. She like sings like her part. Like they could convey that and not just and nails on the chalkboard, just absolutely just ugly way where you're just like a skip. Like you, like, yes, he gets emotional. Yes, he's very direct. Yes, so on and so forth. But he's still rapping. He's still giving, uh, even though it kind of breaks down at some some parts, he's still giving you a somewhat musical experience. This one is just like, like pump the brakes. Like it is just, it's jarring. It's like someone drops a sheet of glass on the pavement. They could have made this easily into like some kind of semi-song format and they just didn't. And it almost the, feels like the worst slam, it feels like slam poetry. Mm-hmm. It does. And I completely, you know, I hate that. I hate that. I'm, I'm not a fan I of slam that. poetry either, but I think it's supposed to be uncomfortable because yeah. dealing with this can be very uncomfortable and well, discussing. I'll go, well, I'll go well. ahead and say that. And then that this is also for, the mother sober track. So I'll just go ahead and get this point out right now. Me personally, I don't like when there is an argument to be made. It's kind of like when you go to see a horror movie, it makes you just feel like so much like dread and so much like existential, what have you, that you go home and that you're genuinely like disturbed and bothered by it. And then you're just like, you know, days go by, you're just like, wow, that movie really messed me up. Now you could say, that's what it's supposed to do. Some people would argue that it completely hit a home run because it succeeded at what it was supposed to do. Yeah, but if that, it made you feel uncomfortable and bad and you did not like that, then did it go too far? And that's what I feel like for me. It's like you could say, yeah, it did what it was supposed to, but I still didn't like it. I did not like how uncomfortable it made me felt. So I am taking off because of that. Sometimes yeah. you can do your job too well. That's fair. It's kind of like when it's kind of like people who find, like you were saying, horror movies too scary and can't watch them. That track stuck with and made me really uncomfortable. So I, mm. I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, that it's a good analogy. I would say great analogy. Actually. Yeah, but also I, I still straight up just don't like most of I've listened to every. I didn't even finish. I still have not finished. We cry together. I skipped that. Oof. So far, I mean, it is the I mean, only it is the only over. track it is the only track in any album that we've reviewed so far that I have not listened to, all the way through. At least you owned it and you explained why. Yes, the art the art is lost on me. I don't like it. It's not a track that I go back to a lot. Yeah, but it I understand its message and why that's important and why it's an impactful song to a lot of people. I mean, it it punched me in the fucking gut. Like yeah. But it's not something that I'm going to go out of my way and listen to on repeat every single time. It don't make the playlist. No, it don't make the playlist. And it wasn't supposed to. <laughs> a lot of these songs. Yeah. If, we're, if we're honest, a lot of these songs don't make the playlist. And I mean, that's not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination. But when trying to give your album a lot of replayability and replay value and make people want to go back and listen to it, Outside of di- dissecting and analyzing the lyrics, there's not a whole lot there, in my opinion. Agreed. That's really where this album falls flat in general. It doesn't add anything beyond the lyrical content. 
For the most part. I mean, there's... For the most part. Yeah, they, like, there are some really interesting instrumentals, but for the most part, yes. This, this album reminds me of those modern art pieces that are like one color or that look like one color. And then when some people say it, there's like, the hell is this? It's just one color. That's stupid. That's not art. And some people are like, he's doing different colors on every brush strokes. They combine to look like one color. And if you really look at it, it's really artistic because of all the stuff he had to do. It's kind of like that Mm -hmm. where it is interpreted. Some people just think it's so stupid and just there's the artistic values lost on them like me. And then there are some people (laughs) that think that is just deep because of the work you put in. See, some people view art based on the moving Mm. parts, and some people view it as a whole. You got to do a little bit of both. I'd say that this album isn't totally exactly like that. I would say that there are some pretty obvious like messages here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Father Tom. Yeah. It's not something that you have to like really look into and dissect, but I do see what you're saying. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But uh, now we get into the final track on the first disc, Purple Hearts. I'm very conflicted about this one. See, I actually like the Ghostface Killer feature. I know you didn't. I don't, but I love Summer Walker's voice. Yeah, it's very nice. Summer she, killed, Walker she killed it. Is a mm-hmm. beautiful singer. I think my problem isn't really like the like the verse itself is that he kind of just, and I know he's getting, he's old, but he kind of sounds like budget Rick Ross, like in this, like <laughs> he just sounds weird. Like I just don't like it. <laughs> it is definitely a different, uh, style. For, yeah, like, for Shut the fuck up. like just kind of like this, I don't know, just this big body bands, Rick Ross. I just, I didn't like it, but the song in and of itself, it's, it is pretty good. I definitely think there's some high points and low points. This song is very anthemic of the album as as a, a whole, whole. Yeah, <laughs> I I enjoyed it. I personally thought that Kendrick and Ghostface's verses were very thoughtful and very. Uh, oh, Kendrick did a really good job on this one. Kendrick, I mean, this I think this is one of the best verses in the whole album. And you know, the Summer Walker feature, great as well, and a, a nice, hopeful way to tie up. The first half of the album, in my opinion. With that, the first disc has closed out. And this recording is run kind of long, so we're going to break it up into two parts. I'll probably release them at the same time. But for now, we are going to cut off here at the first disc of Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. On the next part, we will discuss the second half of the album. The Big Steppers. The Big Steppers. With that being said, I'm your host, Mac. We're off the key podcast and we're out of here. Thanks guys. Most of them are not intentional. I feel like if I think about a certain, like, oh, I need to stop doing that, I end up doing it more. Like, on the... <laughs> yeah. Do it again! Like, <laughs> when Matt, like, when I was like, all right, Matt, I was like, I'm going to try to cut that out. And then for the Marty Robbins 
episode, I felt like I did the most of my mouth sounds in that episode that I was trying not to. <laughs> piss, pi- I mean, piss me off. I was like <laughs> yeah, thinking, yeah. I was like, I am still fucking doing it. And it was just like. It's constant. You can't, <laughs> you can't stop it. here and i wanted to give a shout out to lacrembo for the intro and outro music i'm gonna put his channel link in the youtube version of this video but for those on streaming services it is spelled l-u-k-r-e-m-b-o please go check him out thanks guys